Hello, Pontifax listeners. This is just a quick call to action before we launch into the episode to let you know that the new iTunes charts have been released. So history actually has its own iTunes chart now. We are no longer crumpled in there with true crime and whatever else goes into society and culture. So this is an opportunity for history podcasters to actually make their mark and get really, really visible on these charts because now we're not competing anymore on such a big level. So what we'd love to ask you to do is if you are so inclined and you are enjoying the show, if you could head to your iTunes, doesn't matter what country you're in, and leave us a review, those make a huge, huge, huge difference into how visible we are on those charts and really helps us find new listeners and continue to grow which just continues the excitement and the passion that goes along with this show. And you should do this for a lot of shows that you care about because this will make any podcaster's day to know that you are leaving a review. I'm not even going to ask you for a five stars review. Please just leave whatever you feel you need. But obviously five stars helps us out a lot. If you're not interested in writing a review, you can just click a rating button. That works too. But All a review needs to be is two words, and it just makes a world of difference for us. So if you haven't and you'd like to, you can search us on any iTunes provider. We'll pop up and you can leave a review, and we would appreciate it tremendously. Thank you so much, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. I'm Bree. And today we're bringing you a very special reading of The Sixth Ring of Hell from Dante's Inferno. I'm very excited about it. I mean, it should be no surprise to anyone that the Divine Comedy is a favorite of mine. So... Is it because it's Italian? Because it's Italian, because it's renaissance because it's Florentine, mostly kind of, sort of. <laughs> but... For all of that context, before we jump into the actual text, we're going to introduce Dante, we're going to introduce the Divine Comedy, and exactly what we're getting into, because of course when you're dealing with old poetry and old language, sometimes it's a little less clear. So let's start off with Dante himself. Dante Alighieri was a mid-13th century poet from Florence, and he was a massively influential figure even in his own time. He had a really, really rich political life, fighting with the Florentine Guelphs in the Guelph and Ghibelline conflict that we're definitely going to cover. What did you just say? Guelph Guelph and Ghibelline? That sounds like a Jim Henson movie. (laughs) It is a, a massive Florentine civil war type deal, so now I'm going to imagine it with puppets. So... Keep that in mind, because we are, we're going to deal with the Guelphs and the Ghibelline conflict a lot. It's going to come up a lot, because the Pope plays a pretty substantial role in this. And then after this conflict, Dante will go on to be a part of the Florentine faction who would fight for greater autonomy from the papacy. And then he served as a delegate to papal ambassadors when this conflict came to a head. And he ends up sentenced to exile for his role in this conflict. So this is a man who is definitely involved with the papacy in a very large way. So again, we're going to cover a lot more about Dante's life when we get to the Guelphs and the Ghibellines, and then the Blacks and the Whites factions in Florence, and so much more. And 
his actual life story is something we can dedicate either a bonus episode or a Patreon episode to when we come to that, if there's an interest and a demand. So if you'd like to hear that, let us know. But of course, I mean, this is Dante, and his political life is not even half as important today as his literary legacy. Much like when we covered Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, Dante is super, super significant in literary history for his use of the vernacular language. In this case, a vernacular Tuscan dialect, which was accessible to the people for his works, rather than just using traditional Latin. And just like with Chaucer, this sets a precedent and establishes the Tuscan vernacular for future major Italian writers to follow, and made literature as a whole more accessible to a greater audience, aka the Renaissance. So, for this, and for the actual quality of his work, Dante is considered one of the absolute foundations of Italian literature, and his style is often called the Il Somo Poeta, which means the Supreme Poet. And the two writers most influenced by his style, Petrarch and Boccaccio, are considered almost equally as important, and the three together are often called the three crowns of Italian literature. And as a side note, I had readings from Dante, Petrarch, and Boccaccio read at my wedding, because what a nerd. You're the biggest nerd. I am such a nerd, and I loved every moment of it, so there. Today, we're going to be reading from The Divine Comedy, which is Dante's most famous work, which is considered the most important poem written in the medieval period, and by some, the greatest literary work in the Italian language, bar none. So, this is one of the most famous pieces of literature in the entire world and all of history. So the poem itself, titled by Dante simply as Commedia, divine added to it by Boccaccio, so that's how it became the divine comedy, is a narrative epic written in the beginning of the 14th century thought to have been completed somewhere within a year of his death. It is written as a vision of a soul in the afterlife, as Dante himself, as our narrator, travels through heaven, purgatory, and hell, accompanied mostly by Virgil, who is a first-century Roman poet who serves as his guide and represents human reason and wisdom, and a woman called Beatrice, who he'd known and had loved in his lifetime, who serves as a representation of Dante's ideal woman and divine participation and spiritual love. The Divine Comedy is the reason for the immediate mental images and conceptions of heaven, hell, and purgatory that come to your mind as I say them. Like, when you think of hellfire and brimstone, that is because of Dante. When you think of, like, angels and, and heavenly clouds, that is because of Dante. The depictions in Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso struck with the popular zeitgeist through to the modern day and has continued to influence other writers and playwrights and film directors, etc., etc., in how they portray the spiritual afterlife. It is written in three separate parts called Cantique, which, so we have Inferno first, then Purgatorio, and then Paradiso. Made the horror? What? <laughs> I'm talking about Inferno, and then I just hear, made a heart. <laughs> Is there any more ravioli left over? I don't know if I got through that all, so I'll just say Inferno first, then Purgatorio, and Paradiso last. 
And each of these is broken into 33 cantos each, which are the chapter or segment equivalent for the poem. So the whole Divine Comedy is written in a hundred cantos due to its one introductory canto. Inferno is the first segment of the poem and the one that we're going to actually be dealing with today. And it starts with Dante around the age of 35 on the night before Good Friday in the year of 1300 getting lost in a dark wood, which is supposed to represent sin. And he metaphorically struggles to find the right way to salvation while being threatened and harassed by wild beasts. He knows he's on the wrong path, and he starts to despair, but he is rescued by Virgil, who becomes his guide into the journey of the underworld slash afterlife. Together, they will descend through the nine circles of hell, with each circle dedicated to a punishment of a specific sin in a contrapasso, which is a, quote, by a process either resembling or contrasting to the sin itself. So basically, in every scenario as you go through the rings of hell, the punishment reflects the sin. So, for Pope Anastasius II, we have to journey to the sixth ring of hell, reserved for the heretics. Here is a brief, brief recap of what happens in the sixth circle of hell in Cantos 10 and 11, which is what we'll be reading today. As they enter the sixth circle of hell, Dante encounters a series of famous and influential figures from antiquity, as well as from his contemporary time. This includes the ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus, who believed that the soul was mortal and died with the body, and so he and his followers are trapped in perpetually flaming tombs with their bodies. He also speaks to a Ghibelline leader, Fernando delle Uberti, who had been condemned for heresy after his death for being an Epicurean, focused on temporal pleasures, and as a result, he's described as being quite large. Hmm, interesting. That makes that food website way weird. That's what Epicureanism all, is all about. It's about like that enjoying the pleasures of the flesh while you have it because the soul is attached to the body, and when the body dies, the soul dies with it. And then he talks to Cavalcante di Cavalcanti, a Guelph who is in the same tomb as Farinata. So here we have a Guelph leader and a Ghibelline leader together here. And he also happens to be the father of Dante's friend, the poet Guido Cavalcanti. He talks with these men, mostly with Farinata, making reference to his role in the Battle of Monte Aperto. He also explains that he has to share his cramped tomb with two other men, German Emperor Frederick II, who was allegedly also an Epicurean, and Cardinal Ottaviano degli Ubaldini, the cardinal who once reportedly said, quote, If there be any soul, I have lost mine for the Ghibellines. So, in this case, Dante has made it literal and put him in hell with this crammy tomb. Dante and Virgil walk on. And they come across a tomb where the inscription states that it belongs to Pope Anastasius II. Actually, it just says Pope Anastasius, but it is followed with the quote, Whom out of the right way Fontanus drew? And we know this means Anastasius II because his communion with the heretic of Fontanus. Some scholars argue that Dante has misidentified Pope Anastasius II when he meant to reference Emperor Anastasius I from the same time period since we know that Anastasius the Emperor was a proponent of the Henoticon, 
but from what we saw in our episode this week, it's equally possible and more likely given his medieval reputation that this scene applies to poor Pope Anastasius II. And then as they pass, Virgil also explains the next circle of hell, where sins of violence are condemned, which starts in lower hell before they arrive. So that's what we'll be reading. And one last thing before we get to that reading, Pope Anastasius II is not the only pope to appear in Dante's Circles of Hell. There are three other popes who appear in Inferno, and when we come to them in their narrative, we'll also cover their cantos. So this is Celestine V, Boniface VIII, and Nicholas III. And Peter's mentioned all over because, you know, he's the guy who holds the keys to the gates of heaven. The circular friends. So, now we've got it. We know what we're about and what we're about to read, so we're going to jump right into Dante's Inferno, the sixth ring of hell, Canto 10. Now onward goes along a narrow path between the torments and the city wall. My master and I follow at his back. O oh, power supreme, that through these impious circles turnest me, I began, as pleases thee, speak to me, and my longings satisfy. The people who are lying in these tombs, might they be seen, already are uplifted. The covers all, and no one keepeth guard. And he to me, they all will be closed up, when from Jehoshaphat they shall return, here with the bodies they have left above. Their cemetery have upon this side with Epicurus and his followers, who with the body mortal make the soul. But in the question thou dost put to me, within here shall thou soon be satisfied. And likewise, in the wish thou keepest silent. And I, good leader, but I keep concealed from thee my heart, that I may speak the less, nor only now hast thou thereto disposed me. O Tuscan, thou who walk the city of fire, goest alive, thus speaking modestly. Be pleased to stay thy footsteps in this place. Thy mode of speaking makes thee manifest, a native of that noble fatherland, to which perhaps I too molestful was. Upon a sudden issued forth this sound. From out one of the tombs, wherefore I pressed, fearing a little nearer to my leader, and unto me he said, Turn thee what thou'st thou? Behold, there, fair Nada, who is risen, from the waist upwards, holy shalt thou see him. I had already fixed mine eyes on his, and he uprose erect with breast and front, e'en as if hell he had in great despite. And with courageous hands and prompt my leader, thrust me between the sepulchres toward him, exclaiming, let thy words explicit be. As soon as I was at the foot of his tomb, somewhat he eyed me, and, as if disdainful, then asked of me, Who were thine ancestors? I, who desirous of obeying was, concealed it not, but all revealed to him, whereat he raised his brows a little upward. Then said he, Fiercely adverse have they been to me and to my fathers and my party so that two several times I scattered them. If they were banished, they returned on all sides, I answered him, the first time and the second, but yours have not acquired that art aright. Then there uprose upon the sight uncovered, down to the chin a shadow at his side. I think that he had risen on his knees. 
Round me he gazed, as if solicitude. He had to see if someone else were with me. But after his suspicion was all spent, weeping, he said to me, If through this blind prison thou goest by loftiness of genius, where is my son, and why is he not with thee? And I to him, I come not of myself. He who is waiting yonder leads me here, whom in disdain perhaps your Guido had. His language and the mode of punishment already unto me had read his name. On that account my answer was so full. Upstarting suddenly, he cried out, How saidest thou? He had? Is he not still alive? Does not the sweet light strike upon his eyes? When he became aware of some delay, which I before my answer made supine, he fell again, and forth appeared no more. But the other, magnanimous, at whose desire I had imagined, did not his aspect change. Neither his neck he moved, nor bent his side. And if, continuing his first discord, they have that art, he said, not learned aright, that more tormenteth me than doth this bed. But fifty times shall not rekindled be the countenance of the lady who reigns here, ere thou shalt know how heavy is that art. And as thou wouldest to the sweet would return, say why that people is so pitiless against my race in each one of its laws? Whence I to him, the slaughter and the great carnage which have with crimson stained the Arbia caused such arisons in our temples be made. After his head he with a sigh had shaken, There I was not alone, he said, nor surely without cause with the others moved. But there I was alone, where everyone consented to the laying waste of Florence, he who had defended her with open face. Ah, so hereafter may you speed repose, I him entreated. Solve for me that I not, which has entangled my conceptions here. It seems that you can see, if I hear rightly, beforehand whatsoever the time brings with it, and in the present have another mode. We see, like those things who have imperfect sight, the things, he said, that distant are from us, so much still shines on the sovereign ruler. When they draw near, or are, is wholly vain, our intellect, and if none brings it to us, not anything know we of your human state. Hence thou can understand that holy dead will be our knowledge from the moment when the portal of the future shall be closed. Then I, as if compunctious for my fault, said, Now then, you will tell that fallen once, that still his son is with the living joined. And if, just now, in answering I was dumb, tell him I did it because I was thinking already of the error you have solved me. And now my master was recalling me, wherefore more eagerly I prayed the spirit, that he would tell me who was with him there. He said, with more than a thousand here I lie, within here is the second Frederick, and the cardinal, and of the rest I speak not. Thereon he hid himself and I towards the ancient poet turned my steps, reflecting upon that saying, which seemed hostile to me. He moved along, and afterward thus going, he said to me, Why art thou so bewildered? And I in his inquiry satisfied him. Let memory preserve what thou had heard against thyself, that sage commanded me, and now attend here, and he raised a finger. When thou shalt be before the radiant suite of her whose beauteous eyes all things behold, from her thou'lt know the journey of thy life. Unto the left hand he turned his feet. We left the wall and went towards the middle, along a path that strikes up into the valley, which even up there unpleasant made its stench. Here's a picture. Here's a picture. That is um, Anastasius's tomb, by the way. Canto 11. 
Upon the margin of a lofty bank, which great rocks, broken in a circle, made, we came upon a still more cruel throng. And there, by reason of the horrible excess of stench the deep abyss throws out, we drew ourselves aside behind the cover of a great tomb, whereon I saw a writing, which said, Pope Anastasius, I hold, for whom out of the right way Photinus grew. Slow it behoveth our descent to be, so that the sense be first a little use to the sad blast, and then we shall not heed it. The master thus, and unto him I said, Some compensation find, that the time pass not idly. And he, thou seest, I think of that. My son, upon the inside of these rocks, began he then to say, Are three small circles, from grade to grade, like those which thou art leaving. They are full of spirits maledict, but that hereafter sight alone suffice thee. Hear how and wherefore they are in constraint. Of every malice that wins hate in heaven, injury is the end, and all such end, either by force or fraud, afflicteth others. But because fraud is a man's peculiar vice, more it displeases God, and so sand lowest the fraudulent, and the greater dole assails them. All the first circle of the violent is, but since force may be used against three persons in three rounds, tis divided and constructed. To God ourselves and to our neighbor can we use force. I say unto them on their things, as thou shalt hear with reason manifest. A death by violence and painful wounds are to be our neighbor given, and in his substance ruin and arson and injurious levies, whence homicides and he who smites unjustly, marauders and freebooters, the first round tormenteth all in companies diverse. Man may lay violent hands upon himself and his own goods, and therefore in the second round must perforce without avail repent. Whoever of your world deprives himself, who gains and dissipates his property, and weepeth there where he should jocund be. Violence can be done the deity, in heart-denying and blaspheming him, and by disdaining nature and her bounty. And for this reason doth the smallest round seal with its signet Sodom in the Cahors, and who, disdaining God, speaks from the heart." Fraud wherewithal is every conscience stung. A man may practice upon him who trust, and him who doth no confidence in burst. This latter mode, it would appear, dissevers only the bond of love which nature makes, wherefore within the second circle nestle. Hypocrisy, flattery, and who deals in magic, falsification, theft, and simony, panders and barriters, and the like filth. By other mode, forgotten is that love which nature makes, after what is added, from which there is a special faith engendered. Hence, in the smallest circle where the point is of the universe, upon which dis is seated, who e'er betrays, forever is consumed. And I, my master, clear enough precedes thy reasoning, and full well distinguishes this cavern and the people who possess it. But tell me those within the fat lagoon, whom the wind drives, and whom the rain doth beat, who encounter with such bitter tongues, wherefore are they inside of the red city, not punished, if God has him in his wrath? And if he is not, wherefore in such fashion? And unto me he said, Why wander so thine intellect from which it is wont? Or sooth thy mind, where is it elsewhere looking? Hast thou no recollection of these words, with which thine ethics thoroughly discusses the dispositions three that heaven abides not? Incontinence and malice and insane bestiality? 
and how incontinence less God offendeth than less blame attracts? If thou regardest this conclusion well, and to thy mind recallest who they are, that up outside are undergoing penance, clearly wilt thou perceive why from these felons they separated are, and why less wroth justice divine doth smite them with its hammer. O son that healest all distempered vision, thou dost content me so, when thou resolvest that doubting pleases me no less than knowing. Once more a little backward turn thee, said I, there where thou sayest that usury offends goodness divine and disengage the knot. Philosophy, he said, to him who heeds it, noteth not only in one place alone, after what manner nature takes her course. From intellect divine and from its art, and if thy physics carefully now noticed, after not many pages shalt thou find, that this your art as far as possible follows as the disciple doth the master, so that your art is, as it were, God's grandchild. From these two, if thou bringest to thy mind Genesis at the beginning, it behooves mankind to gain their life and to advance. And since the usurer takes another way, nature herself and in her follower disdains he, for elsewhere he puts his hope. But follow now, as I would fain go on, for quivering are the fishes on the horizon, and the wane wholly over Karis lies, and far beyond there we descend the crag. Dun dun dun, wibbly fishes! There are quivering fishes, yes, definitely. So that is it, that is the sixth ring of hell by Dante in the Inferno, and poor, poor Pope Anastasius is caught in a burning tomb for all eternity. That really sucks, considering we know that he was just trying to do his best to make peace and didn't actually have any heretical views at all. But this is how he's going to be remembered for all of history. So, at least there is now a podcast episode talking about poor, maligned Pope Anastasius II. So, hopefully you enjoyed this reading, and we will be bringing you more Dante again as we come across popes, specifically if they are in hell, but we might also cover the ones who are in paradise, because there are quite a few who show up both in purgatory and in paradise, so there's a potential for more of these if you like them. Let us know, and now we can say thank you. And goodbye. Bye.